All right, well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, nice to meet you. My name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here, and we're excited to kick off a brand new series today called Dream House, and uh, we're excited for you guys to be here. Hey, also, if you're listening online at our podcast in digital land, we're excited you're listening. So anyway, all right, so we're so glad that everybody's here today. Everybody say dream. dream. Come on, like you mean it. Say dream. dream. House. All right, we're starting a series called Dream House, and the reason we're doing that is because, you know, we've been open for almost six weeks now, and most of the time that when I get to talk and connect with people inside of our church as a pastor, I have noticed that the number one uh, concern, the number one issue that most people have is stuff that happens in our families and in our house. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how do you create this thing called the Dream House? How do you, what does God have to say about marriage and family and kids and husbands and wives and, and all this stuff? There's a a lot that the Bible has to say about that, and so we're going to really unpack that today. And so um, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be in verse 46, Luke chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, well, you will have it up on the screens in just a moment, but you can also follow along on our uh, electronic notes. If you get the Bible app, there's a version Bible app. It's called version, literally called version. and then you can search, go to like the search areas for events, and you can see all my notes as it's coming up. And so you can find out where I'm going if you want to cheat and look forward to the get past it. So anyway, uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 46 is where we're going to be. But before we get started, I want to give you some ground rules to the uh, sermon series called Dream House, okay? Number one, here's the first rule. I'm not speaking to you as an expert, okay? That's not what this is. This isn't like you're coming to the family expert or the you know the church has it all figured out or, hey, the pastor's got the greatest family in the world. That is not what this is. Uh, I haven't been alive long enough, and I, haven't had, I have plenty of children. I have plenty of uh, experience in some of those areas, and I've done a lot of counseling, obviously, over you know 15 years in ministry, but I'm not coming to you as an expert. What I'm coming to you as a flawed pastor, as a flawed human being, opening up Scripture and seeing what God has to say really about it. And then secondly, here's the second rule is I'm going to be sensitive to you. I'm going to be extremely sensitive because when we talk about family and and there's some emotionally charged words when it comes to family, because when I say even family, some of you have a, uh, an inkling, a feeling, a situation, like it kind of makes you feel good. Sometimes it makes you feel bad. And depending on where you come from, it could be really sensitive. So I'm going to speak sensitively on some of those areas. Sometimes I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to walk around certain things. And then sometimes I'm just going to give it to you straight. Okay. So, but just know I'm speaking to you from a biblical context and really, from an area where I feel like God wants for our families. Does that make sense? Is that cool? All right, awesome. So those are kind of the ground rules. So context to Luke chapter 6, really quick, just to kind of give you an idea. Jesus is starting right around his first... first of his three years in ministry. Luke is a gospel. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's in the first part of the New Testament. So if you're new to the Bible, that's where it is. Luke is one of the four gospels or the lives of Jesus. And Luke is actually a doctor that was hired by a really probably wealthy man named Theophilus, and he goes out of his way, Luke goes out of his way to investigate and to figure out all of these claims that Jesus had. And so he starts interviewing with people. So this is a firsthand account of what Jesus's life was like, okay, from a scientific science kind of doctor version. And so um, in this particular part of Luke chapter 6, he's just finished choosing all of his disciples. So he had 12 kind of close people to him. And some parts of, uh, some scholars believe this is a part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest sermons ever taught in history about things was taught by Jesus on this thing called Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's kind of a famous sermon because that's where you get all the Beatitudes. If you ever heard of the Beatitudes or you get all the judge not, those types of things, as you probably heard that even if you're not a Christian, this is kind of that context of where it's at. And then he starts talking about heart issues inside of the, inside of the local church. And so this is what we do. So Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? This is important. 
when you don't do what I say. So Jesus is addressing the fact that there are people back then on Jesus in Jesus' life that heard Jesus but didn't live out what Jesus said. That sounds familiar. It's just like today. The Bible is extremely relevant if you know how to read it. Verse 47, he says, and I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me. Okay, there's a three-part part of this kind of walk with Jesus. When someone comes to me, that's number one, listens to my teaching, number two, and then follows it. That's number three. He said, if you can follow that formula in life, typically you're going to be okay with the things of God. So verse 48, he says, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. So he says that if you come to me, if you listen to my teaching, and then you do what I say, it's like somebody building their spiritual, he's using house, right? He's using that as a metaphor in a way to say, if you come to me and you do what I ask you to do, you do what I say because, hey, listen, I was a part of that whole creation thing. When you got on this earth, I was a part of that. I helped create you. I know what you need. If you build your life on what I'm saying, it'll be like somebody who builds it on a solid rock. And when the flood waters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. Now, how many of you out there have had a moment in your family, in your home, where some flood waters, metaphorically, have hit your house, where you something came and it wasn't what you thought, it wasn't what you expected, you thought your kids were going to be amazing, and then they came out and they ain't amazing, right? You thought that that lady you would, you would marry, you married that woman of your dreams, and then you got married, and all of a sudden, it became a nightmare, right? There's all of a sudden, the guy that you thought you saw, man, you, you knew he was the one for you. He was going to sweep. He sweeped you off your feet, and somehow you fell somewhere. You know, you didn't know what happened. Those are the floodwaters that, that God's talking about. He says, it stands firm because it was built on something solid. Verse 49, it says, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep against the house, it collapses into a heap of ruins. And you and I have all probably shared in some part of where our life and our home and our family, our house was built not on the word of God. And when something bad happened, you and I crumbled and our families crumbled. And so God has a lot to say about how to build this thing called this dream house. And so if you're taking notes, my message today is redefine the dream, redefine the dream. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're here with us today. And that, God, we're going to open up your word and we're going to hear what you have to say about living this life uh, in a way that can ultimately bring apart dreams, God. The things that have been inside of our hearts, God, you have the power to uh, expound them, God. You have the power to, to bring them about. And so we just thank you today that we're here for you. We want to honor you today. We give you all the praise. Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do, God, in this moment. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. How many would say that like you had an interesting childhood? Raise your hand if you had an interesting childhood, if that could be classified as interesting. How many of y'all had, could like remember your childhood and, and wish you could forget your childhood? You remember that like, y'all, I wish I could forget what happened in my childhood. There's a many, many, many times you think about family, um, it could bring up good memories and sometimes it could bring up bad memories. I was thinking back the other day and I was like, you know, what, what were some of the interesting things that I seem to remember as a kid? I remember when I was like, um, I think I was like four years old. I don't know why I remember this, y'all, because like I came from a fairly good home. My, my mom and dad, they're still together and we were raised in the things of God. And what I've noticed about Christian families is that just because you know about God and you were a Christian family didn't uh, necessarily keep you out of problems or didn't necessarily make sure that you were a perfect person, even though we reflect a perfect God. And so uh, I remember sometimes like my mom, she thought this was funny. I don't know if you guys do this with your kids, but she thought this was funny. Um, she would wake me up sometimes and it wasn't all the time, but I was, she was being silly, but she would wake me up 
so like if I, if I got scared at night and I would go into the room, how many of y'all have kids who do that right now? Like they come into your room in the middle of the night and like they walk, it's kind of creepy because the only time you can see the top of their head in the shadows and you're like, oh my gosh, is that a demon? Because it looks like a demon. And, and so, but anyway, so I was, I remember when I was a little kid, I'd wake up and I'd get scared. I'd run to my, mom, my mom's room and I would, you know, sleep overnight and I'd wake up and my mom, as a joke, this is what her idea of a joke was, she would wake me up, she would turn her eyelids inside out. And then she would talk in this weird kind of creepy voice and she would like, she would wake me up. She'd go, Aaron, I'm an alien and I took over your mom. I'm like, what kind of person like wakes up their kid, you know, like that as a four-year-old, you know? And I'm, my mom's like, Aaron, I never did that. I'm my mom. You did that. That's why I have counseling right now is because of how you woke me up. And, uh, you know, we'd have, like, weird things like that. We'd do weird family traditions, you know, that were odd. Like, they were cool back in the day, but they seem odd now, you know, and just weird stuff. And, but I remember one time um, going to school. You know, when you start getting into grade school, that's when you start to figure out, um, at least for me, I started to figure out whether or not I was cool or not or had, like, a cool family or not. But I remember specifically... I don't know why this bothered me. This is not a big deal, but I don't know why. But I remember specifically, um, lunchtime was always my way of determining whether or not I was the cool kid. And I always felt like I wasn't the cool kid. Here's why. Number one, I never got to sit with the cool kids. Anybody else out there like me? Like anybody not sit with the cool kids? Like I never sat. Y'all must have been cool. That's awesome. I never sat with you. And so I, I never sat with the cool kids. But the other thing is, is I gauged my coolness on um, what my mom put my sandwich bag in. Now, this is going to sound so weird, okay, but all the cool kids in my school, they had these type of lunch bags. So, like, they were the Ziploc name brand lunch bags, okay? And so they would come to school, and they were so cool because they had the Ziploc sandwich bags. That's how we classified. I was in a weird school, y'all, but that's how they classified cool sandwich bags. And my sandwich bags never looked like this. My sandwich bags looked like this. They were the foldover. And I don't even know. Like, they just fold over. Does anybody have... I can't... So, like, I would... But, like, when my mom would put them in the sandwich bag, and I grew up thinking, can I just be cool and have the Ziploc sandwich bag? And I told my mom that later on in life, and I said, Mom, why don't you ever give me the cool... I asked for them. She goes, Son, I, and I thought... Here's what I thought. I thought we couldn't afford it. That's what I thought. I was like, I thought these were the cheaper ones. They didn't have the cool Ziploc that's got to be cheaper, so maybe we couldn't afford it. So I thought my whole life we didn't live with any quote-unquote money or we weren't wealthy in any way. And so when I got married, y'all know what I, when we started having kids and then my kids went to school, guess what they go to school with now? They go to school with the Ziploc bags, not because I think it's cool, but because I have like this weird soul wound in my heart. I'm getting counseling for it, I promise. I'm going to get better, but I have this thing. And so you can ask my wife, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like I'm like, she, one time she, when we first had kids go to school, she came home with the sandwich bags and we almost lost, we almost didn't make it after that. It was that bad. And so my kids have Ziploc bags. But, but the reason I tell you that is because we all grow up with our own version of like what we would think like our home should be. And you know what we do? We say these statements. This is the statements we say, when I have kids, we will never dot, dot, dot. When I get married, I'm going to always dot, dot, dot. And you fill in the blank. Whatever your Ziploc issue is, you put that in there because you come from like this weird kind of past issue. And it's what I call like the dream house syndrome. 
is because we grow up with an imperfect family, with imperfect parents, and imperfect siblings, in an imperfect house, and we compare it to this dream that we have of what it should be or shouldn't be. We walk around almost like, you ever guys go to the store and you get like these frames and like in the frame, there's this family. Y'all see, you know what I'm talking about? Like the family. Like I know some people who never take the family out because like we write that, let that be our family. We don't, we don't want our real family on there. And you walk around and you're like, why don't I look like that guy? Why doesn't that look like my wife? Why doesn't that look like my husband? My kids don't look like that. They're like, you want to know their kids don't look like that. They ain't even a family. Those are actors that were paid to look that way. And so we look at that and we go like, why aren't they happy all the time? It's like the dream house world we live in. Anybody watch HGTV? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like that on like... There's this network, and they put on these incredible shows. They're like, um, they're like yeah, like, wh- why did my family look like that? They all look, smile. None of my family looks like that when I take pictures. Now, those are the ones I post. After the 71 that didn't work, this is the 72nd, right? I remember watching a show on HGTV. It was like, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like they're building their dream home, you know? And, and I, those shows don't make any sense to me because they're not rooted in reality. But here's why I know this. It's always the guy going like, hey, I'm an um, interior uh, you know, design specialist for uh, wagons in the uh, Idaho desert. And uh, I'm, I'm amazing. And she's like makes her own granola in a bar thing on the outside of her house. And they're like, well, how much is your budget? $1.7 million. And you're like... How does that even make sense? And you look at them and then they build these homes and you're like, oh my gosh. And you know what we do? We look at their home and then we look at our home and we go, what? That didn't make sense. That don't work, right? Or here, you ever do this? You ever get on social media right after you got in a fight with your husband or your wife and then you're scrolling through Facebook and then you see them, somebody post a picture about them. Hey, celebrating our 10 year anniversary in Hawaii, you know, hashtag blessed. And you're like, what? And so you go on there because you want to be the good friend that supports people. So you say, congratulations. But inside you're saying, that's so, because my family and my house and my situation doesn't look like, doesn't look like that. And the danger I would say in in our society, even now so more than anything, is that when our picture doesn't look like this picture or the picture online or the picture in our minds, when our real life catches up with the dream life, we can get discouraged. You and I could stop doing, stop working, stop trying to do what we know is right and abandon it all together because this is not possible. Has anybody ever noticed that? Like perfect families are not possible. And the danger in a lot of ways with churches is sometimes churches teach you, well, if you just, you know, if you just really, really love God, then your families are going to be just fine. And I know some really, really good, godly, Christian, loving people who had their kids lose their mind when they got to the point when they could. I know some really good godly Christian people that somehow the relationship just didn't work out. I know some really good godly Christian people where all of a sudden you would thought from the outside at a distance, you look at them and they got it all figured out. However, the closer you looked upon examination, it wasn't the dream you thought it was. 
And so as a pastor, I look at that and I kind of go, well, man, we got to talk about that. So I opened up the Bible and I said, let's do this. Let's find some families in the Bible that we can model our lives and our families off of. Here's the problem with that. Have you ever looked in the Bible and looked at all the families in it? And so people are like, even well-meaning Christians, well, just build your life on the families of the Bible. Hold on. Let's go through that, shall we? How about the first family, Adam and Eve? The Bible talks a lot about Adam and Eve. And you would think, like, perfect. if I just had the perfect scenario and the perfect house with the perfect situation and I had all the perfect conditions, then we would be so good. We would be perfect. You're actually wrong in that because Adam and Eve had the perfect situation and the perfect environment and the perfect moment. Man, he, they, he, they both had the going on. They didn't have to work for nothing. God brought them everything. They lived in the greatest house. Man, she, the, the lady walked around naked. That's perfect for guys, right? The, 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 the guy didn't have to work or take out the trash or anything. That's perfect for ladies. Every, they had it worked out. Yet, we look at their family. That's how sin got brought into the world. You want to look at their kids? Cain killed Abel. Their boys, one of the sons actually killed one of the other sons. I try to keep my kids from, like, hurting each other, right? But their family was extremely flawed, incredibly mismanaged. You look at Noah. Like, if you don't know anything about Noah, Noah is famous for building an ark, this giant boat. When the water comes in the world and it floods the entire world, so he saves, you know, a bunch of mankind, saves all the people, and saves all the, you know, all the animals, and he does an amazing thing. And then the Bible says that, well, he, he, liked, he liked booze. And then he passes out drunk. And then here's what happens. Not only does he kind of go crazy, then one of his kids try to like cover him, and then, but the other kid tries to expose him. Like that's never happened to anybody in our life, right? In any of our families where you, the guy, the kid you thought was supposed to get your back, like I raised you, son. You wouldn't be here without me. Don't turn your back on me. Somebody gets betrayed. Well, that's not a good family to follow. How about Jacob? You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham is what we call the father of faith. He had two sons, Jacob. Then Jacob had some bunch of other sons, and one of them was Joseph, and he gets sent off into slavery. Guess who sent him off into slavery? His brothers. So you think you got betrayed by your family member. Imagine being sent off into slavery because you were the loved kid. You're like, oh, okay, maybe not that one. How about Jesus' family? Surely Jesus' family could give us a clear-cut idea of what it's like to have a perfect dream house family. Except you find many parts where you're like, that's kind of messed up. Did you know that Jesus' parents left him at, the, at church for three days? Left him, lost him. The Bible says they lost him. Like we'd, call, we'd call child services on his parents. But you left Jesus. And you're like, man, how in the world? And so you saw, I almost think, you know, here's what happens. I actually think that's what a lot of the New Testament was written after because they knew that the Old Testament was, they knew what was in the Old Testament, all the craziness and all the family. I always laugh at what people bring up like the, like they say, like the Bible isn't true. I'm like, it here's one of the reasons it has to be true. It's included, it includes only flawed stories. Like if I was telling a story about me, I would never include any of the stories that, of my life about all these people who are doing crazy things. And, and, and it shows us that really every family has some degree of dysfunction. It should bring some like happiness to your life. Like, hey, I'm not that bad. I didn't leave you at church for three days. I'm not that bad. I'm okay. And so I think New Testament Jesus comes along and the Old Testament writers start teaching us principles for our families. And they say certain things. I'm going to read a couple of them for you. These are just interesting 
things about family that are in the New Testament in letters to churches about having this dream home. So Jesus comes and he goes, oh, I got to give some advice here because clearly people in the Old Testament didn't understand it. So let me give you some advice. And here's some of his parenting advice. Ephesians chapter six says, children, obey your parents. Can I get a good amen from all the parents in there, right? All right, yeah. Even if you're not a Christian, you believe in that. Like, listen to what I'm saying. I got something to say. In the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? The promise is that you will live a long life. Now, we get, we, like, that makes sense. Okay, oh, yeah. All right. Fathers, this is verse 4. It says, fathers, dads, do not provoke your children to anger. I wonder why God doesn't say that to the moms. They know. He, he knows. He knows it's not moms who irritate the kids. It's dads who do that. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline. Okay, fathers, we should discipline and instruct an instruction of the Lord. How about marriage? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For verse 22, so he, then he, he says, Okay, after you submitted to one to another, then I'm going to go into the specifics of submission. Because a lot of people, always, especially guys, they always like to quote 521, this next one coming up, wives, submit to your husbands for, uh, as they would to the Lord. So I'll, every guy I know, even people who, even guys who don't know church know that verse, okay? They're like, you need to submit, woman. Actually, first, the verse 21 says, you need to submit to each other, one to each other. But they forget that. I forget that sometimes. I get it, but it's the full Bible. Anyway, verse 21, and then verse 25, it goes on to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up to him. So he gets specific about what you are supposed to be as a husband and as a father and as a wife and as a mother. So God does all these cool little principles. And in fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but actually the Bible talks a whole lot more about husbands being good to your wives than wives being good to your, your, your husbands because we miss it a lot, okay? You need to know that if you're a lady in here. I mean, you are blessed because, guys, we are, we are dense, and we need it to be repeated a lot. And so Jesus and the New Testament authors, they, they give us all these principles. Now, you and I hear those things, that we hear those verses, and some of those sound old-fashioned. You'd be like, come on, pastor. I mean, I get it. I mean, that's what the Bible was. I mean, it's back in the day. It's old-fashioned. But what you don't realize is when these were given out, these were been incredibly futuristic for that culture, this was, this was an incredibly different Greek-Roman culture that you need to understand how people, they saw women as, as like property. So for someone to come in and start teaching people about actually you need to submit one to another, that men need to submit to women just as much as women need to submit to men, that would have radicalized. This was incredibly futuristic thinking. Children were even less valued as, than women. They were less than proud. They would trade them. They would get rid of them if they got irritated. Now, some of us would like to do that with our own kids, but they would actually do that. And so here's the value you need to understand. And this is what, this is, uh, this is important. If you're missing any of this, this is, what, this is really, really important. Society right now is trying to teach us that biblical standards actually bring down the marginalized. That's completely wrong. Every biblical principle that is designed to help our society always lifts up the marginalized and the oppressed. Women were not equal in that society. Jesus comes and teaches a value that makes them equal. Children are not equal in that society. And he teaches values and shows people. The Bible actually talks children run to Jesus and he doesn't cast them aside. He says, let the children come to me. He always, anything biblical, always lifts up the marginalized and oppressed. Don't let society or your Facebook feed show you otherwise. God always lifts. His ways always lift. So the, what's the conclusion? 
The conclusion is we see the Old Testament shows us a whole bunch of crazy families. New Testament teaches us, well, there's some great biblical teaching. And so for us, we need to redefine what maybe a dream house is before we leave today. So here's what I want to do in the time we have left. I want to give you a new definition for a dream house, not based on what you see in the past, what you went through, right? This is how I, I created my own dream family based on the zip, the, whether or not I had a Ziploc bag in my life. So I created certain things. And there are some things that you guys do too as well. There's some things you don't do because your dad did it. There's some things you do do because your dad did it. There's some things that you walk around, you implement in your life because mama always did that. And grandma always did that. And you always had that in your family. And instead of creating your life based on what happened in your past, instead of creating your life what you see on social media, instead of creating all your family values and building your house on, on what you read or see in TV shows, or I mean, y'all see, like y'all saw you know, back in the day, it was Leave it to Beaver, and you know what I mean? all these great family-valued shows. However, hold, hold on, they still weren't built on the things of God. So rather than building our lives on the sand when the winds of, and the, the, the issues of life come and knock it over, we want to build it on the things of God. So let's redefine what a dream house is. So for us in the context of this series, this is what a dream house is. So when we talk about a dream house, a dream home, a dream life, dream family, dream kids, this is what we're going to talk about. Dream home, a dream house is simply this, a gathering of flawed human beings telling God's redemption story. A gathering of flawed human beings telling God's redemption story. That's what the church is. We talk a lot about this value of ours called spiritual family. It's one of our values that we teach here at this church. And the reason we teach that is because you need to see the church as a family. God places the lonely in family. God gave us the incredible gift of family to show us not what a perfect, he wasn't trying to show us perfect families. Listen, if he was, if you were going to go back and write a story about all the people who followed in your ways, you would never tell it the way the Bible tells it. You would put in all of the good families, right? You'd put in all the families that did everything right to prove that if you did it your way, you'd have a perfect family. That's not what God was doing. When God showed us the Bible, when God unpacks what Christian and great dream families look like, he wasn't painting a perfect family. What he was doing is he was writing a redemption story. That's what he's doing in your family. And so God's writing this story. He's, he's not painting a perfect picture. He's writing a story of the redemption. He's writing a story of his goodness. He's writing a story of how God can change your life. He's writing a story of how God can change your marriage. He's writing a redemptive story of how God can help and affect and change your kids. He wants the best things for you, and it's not going to be a perfect family. It's going to be a redempted, a redeemed family as unto God. Dream families are built up of those who operate in both grace and truth. In both grace and truth. Jesus actually, John says this, Jesus came, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That dream homes are filled with those flawed individuals that walk around with grace and truth. What I love about Jesus is that he gives us this North Star. He starts showing us these things in the New Testament about how to love your kids and how to train your kids and how to treat your wife and how to treat your husband and how to create this life that could be a dream. He shows us the goal and when we don't reach it, he covers it with grace. That's the point of a Christian's walk with God. 
And it's not supposed to be you did everything right because you probably in your life would say, I did everything right with that boy. And somehow it didn't work out. Somehow he's struggling. He's lost. He's a prodigal. Maybe he's not doing what he should be doing as unto God. And you would think, I did everything the same with my daughter and nothing works right with my son. Man, I really worked on our family and my marriage and I tried to do this and when it didn't work out and I pushed all the buttons and I did all the things that everybody said to do and I did all the ways and I walked it all out and yet still something happened, that actually should encourage you to know you weren't supposed to be perfect. You weren't supposed to get it all right. As a matter of fact, you were supposed to reach toward the dream and then when you miss it, God covers it with grace and you walk through life being a flawed individual telling God's redemptive story. The best thing you can do for the world around you is not have a perfect family, is walk around and be vulnerable with your family to share what God has done inside of your life. You have a story to tell. And guess what? Nobody can argue with your story. Did you know that? Somebody asked me the other day, like, what's the best piece of evangelistic advice could you give to someone? I said, tell them your story because they can't argue with you. They can argue with the Bible. They're going to argue with stats and statistics and argue with all that stuff. They can argue religion and argue denominations and argue all that. But listen, listen. They can't argue with your story. They weren't there. Tell them what God did for you. Tell them what God did for your son. Tell them what God did for your, your marriage. Tell them what God did for your finances. Tell them what God did for your life. Tell them what God did for you. They can't argue with it because they, wa- they didn't walk it out with you because you're telling God's redemptive redemption story. So why don't we do it that way? I mean, clearly there's some points in the Bible about how to live and how to have a marriage, and how to have kids. Why don't we do that? There's typically three ways of why we don't do it. Number one is fear. Fear is, is this thing like you're going you're gonna to miss out on something. You're going to actually, uh, you're missing out on something that you could be doing, but you're not doing it because you're doing it God's way. You know, you, you, you don't do something that God says to you about your marriage, you know, you, because you don't feel like, like, for instance, let's just take it, ladies. Let's say you don't, you don't want to, to respect your husband. You don't want to honor your husband because you fear that if you do that, you're going to miss out on getting what should be yours. Or it could be the opposite. Guys, you don't want to really love your wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church, which is a sacrificial love, which, remember, Christ gave up his life for the church. So that means then as process of deduction, then as a husband, the best thing we can do to be a godly husband is to give up our life for our wives, which means you sacrifice your wants and needs for her wants and needs. But some of us don't do that because we fear we go, well, but, but, but if I do that, I'm going to miss out. Could be selfishness. That's like missing out on my thing. That's why some guys don't do it. It's like, what about me? If I do everything for her, then what about me? I I don't miss out on me. I'm pretty good. I like me. And if I don't do it for me, then who's going to do it for me? Not knowing that your marriage is actually a covenant more than it ever was a contract and that your life should look at them more about what can I do for them? How can I sacrifice for them? It's a mutual submission game. And those who have great marriages understand that principle. Or it could be ignorance. You know, some of the reason we don't do it God's way. We don't build God's ways because we don't know what we're missing. You know, some of us didn't grow up in a Christian home. Some of us didn't, did, just didn't grow up like that. Some of us didn't grow up and see it modeled as a husband. How many I would say right now, just as a show of hands, did not grow up in a Christian household? Raise your hand. If you did not grow up in a Christian household, raise your hand. Look around. Yeah, didn't grow up in a Christian household. And so for you, you had to figure out 
what it was to be a godly husband. You have to figure out what it is to be a godly wife, what it is to be a godly parent. And so ignorance alone keeps you from building God's way. And here's what I've found. I don't know, this is just me. Here's what I've found with, when it comes to, I think, our version of a dream home. The only way that you and I are going to build the dream life that we want is if we're intentional. Dream homes, dream houses of God are extremely intentional. I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, they, were, they were meeting with me, and they said, Pastor, man, you, you just like get up there on the platform, and like you teach God's word, and you just, it seems like natural and effortless, and you just do whatever, like it just seems like it comes natural, like you don't even prep or anything like that, it seems like you just get up there and just let it fly, and I'm like, well, you know, I just how I do it, and, uh, and I'm just kidding, but like, but what I told him is I said, what, what most people make look easy, and you know this in your life, what most people make look easy and effortless took years of intentional living. And so you'll see these families. Well, here's the problem. If we don't know, you'll see families who, again, you'll see family. You want to model, man, oh, that guy has a great family. Wow, I wish they were like this. Or, man, I wish. Or you even grew up with friends, you know, where you went to their house, and you're like, their house was way cooler than your house, and your dad was way cooler than your dad, and your life was way cooler. Their life was, seemed to be way better than your life. But, but here's what I noticed, that people who make things look easy, they worked extremely hard for that. And if you want a dream home in your life, you're going to have to be extremely intentional about how to get there. And we're going to talk about over the next several weeks what it's like. Today was just an intro. Today was just I wanted to redefine what a dream house is. Remember, a gathering of flawed individuals telling God's redemptive story. If that's your, if that's your picture, then it's not this. It really isn't. It's the time when they're crying. It's the time when you're fighting. It's the time when you're not perfect. It's the time where you missed out. I mean, you, you, you forgot to pick up your kid from school. You didn't make him a full lunch. It's that time when you yell at your wife when you shouldn't have. It's that time when you didn't fully respect your husband when you shouldn't have. It's that time. It's your life on display telling God's redemptive story and not showing how perfect and good you are. You can't, if your life, if you're trying to chase a picture of a perfect family, you're always going to fail. God doesn't want you to fail. You were designed to win. You're designed to walk around and say, all I do is win, win, win. That's what you were designed to do. You know what I'm saying? That's what you were designed to do. And if you are looking at an impossible feat, you'll never, ever win. And so today, I wanted to maybe bring and lift a pressure and a burden of trying to be the perfect family, of trying to be the perfect parent, of trying to be the perfect spouse, and just be flawed and walk in God's principles and then see how he can redeem your and my mistakes in our own family. Isn't it nice to know that God doesn't expect you to have a perfect family? Isn't it nice to know that you don't have to come to this church and walk in and I ask you how you doing. You don't have to say blessed and highly favored. You can say, honestly, it's pretty terrible. We fought on the way here. My kids are crazy. And I don't really know what I'm doing here right now. I got to be honest. <laughs> Isn't it nice to know that you're not trying to be this more than you're trying to walk out this? 
Isn't it nice to know that you can be intentional and not be perfect? That you can be Christian and not be perfect? That you can walk with God and not be perfect? Just because you and I reflect an incredibly perfect God doesn't mean you and I are going to be perfect. It just ain't going to work like that. You ain't God and I ain't God, so therefore, by definition, we ain't going to be perfect. However, we're going to reach toward what God says in his word and in the principles of what it is. And so the Bible is so clear to us, count the cost, count the cost. What does that mean? Count the cost. What does it mean to count the cost? It means to be intentional. Don't set out to do something by accident. Your family will not be good by accident. You're not going to find yourself into a dream home and a dream house situation by accident. How many of you, has anybody ever built a home here? And I'm done. Actually built an actual home. Like, had builders build a home. You know what I noticed that we didn't do when you, I, I built a home before when I lived in Missouri. And uh, one thing I didn't do when I built a home is I didn't just pray. And then the home appeared. <laughs> did you do that? No, you didn't do that. What did you do? You went and you talked to the builder and then you picked the lot and you make sure you're in the right neighborhood because that neighborhood over there, that's crazy. But this neighborhood, I'm going to be in this neighborhood. You tried to get the corner lot that you couldn't afford, and then you went back, and then you counted the cost, and you said, man, we can't really afford that, so we're going to go on this side, and then we're going to go do this, and then you picked the levels, and you picked on how many stories it was, and you picked on how many rooms it had, and you picked on, you did every, when you built the house, when you build a house, for those of you who haven't done it, you are intentional about everything. I remember they tried to give me like, uh, hey, you want to add this? They're building a house. And they're like, hey, you want to put this fan in? I'm like, yeah, let's put a fan in. They're like $7,000. I'm like, don't put that fan in. I'll do it. <laughs> and you walk through all these things. What? And then you built a home that you wanted in your mind because you were incredibly intentional. Dream homes, Christian dream homes, dream houses, dream marriages, dream kids, dream families are extremely intentional. They're built by people who make it seem easy, but it's extremely hard, and they're day by day walking out what God has for them. They are intentional about building their house. So some of us in here, that's a good nugget for you just to walk away with. Wow, instead of me praying it in, come on, you super spiritual churchy people. Come on. We do that a lot. We, we like acquiesce. We like walk away from our responsibility as a Christian, and here's what we do. Instead of us working hard for it, we just got, God, I'm going to pray for it. Miracle cometh. Miracle cometh, and you're standing there praying the same prayer, and God's going, I, 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 I want to bless you if you would just put your hands to something. That's what the Bible says. So start being intentional. Start walking out what God has for your life. And we're going to talk about what it is to be intentional over the next several weeks. But we're going to save that for next week because I'm out of time. 